This is Tom Fox. Welcome to Because That's What Heroes Do. As you know from prior episodes, Megan Doherty, co-founder of One Stone Creative, and I are huge MCU fans. So we've decided to do the MCU movie oeuvre. That's right. We're going to do all of the MCU movies in this special podcast series. Over the series, we will take a look at the storylines, some of the cookies and other cool things. We'll describe the great action scenes from each um, episode, and then we'll take a look at issues raised by each episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. We will take things from the societal angle, from the social justice angle, from the MCU angle, and perhaps even from the compliance angle. But if you're an MCU fan or you're a compliance fan, I know you'll enjoy this series. In this episode, we take up the first release in the MCU, although it's number three in chronological order. This episode, Iron Man. This podcast is a special production of the Compliance Podcast Network. I'm Tom Fox, the founder of the Compliance Podcast Network and the voice of compliance. And I'm Megan Doherty, uh, co-founder of One Stone Creative. Uh, excited to be here for another uh, episode of Popcorn and Compliance, where we're going through the entire MCU in universe-appropriate chronological order. And that's a really interesting point to start on, Megan, because this was the first movie that came out, although it's not mm-hmm. in the first chronological order. Uh, so of the MCU, as you point out, and, um, that caused me some consternation over the years <laughs> until I sat down and watched him in chronological <laughs> order and then it made complete sense. But, uh, I, I want to just start out with a shout out to the vision of the producers, the directors, the whomevers to recognize that, uh, they, uh, actually salted Iron Man one, which we're doing today with lots of cookies pointing us to, both forward and backwards, and points they picked up on in uh, different movies that became, uh, if not seminal plot points, certainly key plot points. So uh, with that, um, I wanted to give you kind of uh, the three plot points that meant the most or I enjoyed the most. Mm -hmm. And I have to start with the discussion in the Humvees about the Playboy Playmates. First of all, uh, although I am no longer a teenage boy, that was a huge part of my teenage life, (laughs) waiting for the Playboy Playmates to come out each month in Playboy, because in the 1970s, that was about as uh, raunchy as it got uh, in a magazine that I could buy, and uh, or at least have bought for me. And uh, so... uh, not that I tithered through all of that, but it did put a smile on my face. And you could see that even with the uh, younger troops that were in the Humvee with him uh, when there was an entire discussion about whether he'd actually slept with uh, the entire oeuvre of that year's Playmate, Playboy Playmate selection. And though he did note there was a twin set of twins that uh, kind of capped off his his year. So, um uh, I had to laugh at that. That is like every teenage boy. I don't know if Playboy is still a thing or not, but when I was growing up, it was a thing. And to start off with that, I mean, the teenage boy in me was teehee in the whole way. Uh, you saw the um, the reaction of the female soldier, and I think that was similar to the reaction of my wife, which was just to roll her eyes and all of that. 
Well, it, it made me laugh because my first um, kind of exposure to the idea of Playboy was mom giving me Gloria Steinem's I Was a Playboy Bunny <laughs> expose for Miss Magazine. <laughs> So um, the second one I wanted to highlight was the introduction of Pepper Potts. Mm. And she's obviously a key character throughout the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. And she's a a fabulous character. But the first time we see her, she had perhaps one of the greatest lines in the entire oeuvre. Uh, And that is after Tony uh, sleeps with a reporter, um, she, the next morning, brings her a freshly laundered dress that she had worn. And uh, the reporter makes some snide remark that, oh, you must be the hired help, to which she responded, I am. And indeed, sometimes I even have to take the trash out. And that, that really set the tone for Pepper Potts for the entire series. It set the tone for her relationship with Tony. And it was just one of the great zinging comebacks of all time. So that was also early on. There's one other thing that that I'm not sure it's a plot point, and I'm not sure people would still think about this, but it was the casting of Robert Downey Jr. Mm -hmm. And I really don't mean as uh, his background as an actor, because I think he's a fabulous actor. He had been nominated for an Oscar for his portrayal of Charlie Chaplin before this. But he he had gone through some very serious substance abuse issues and um, was very open about it and um, tried to clean up and sober up several times, was unsuccessful, and basically said, hey, I don't want to. And uh, if you don't want to, you're not going to. But he finally did. But that background, and he, he's always openly talked about it, but that background gave an entire edge to his acting performances, not so much because he was uh, he was in recovery, and he wasn't an addict from certainly Iron Man going forward, but everyone kind of saw him in that light. And when he did crazy stuff, it's like, yeah, he did. And it, it really added an edge. People don't think about that too much anymore. But back then, um, it, it really it, it really provided a different level to to uh, how we interpreted his acting. And he wasn't the first uh, candidate. For uh, Tony Stark, um, I was a little bit surprised to find Tom Cruise had been actually uh, in part of the discussions. But uh, he Tom Cruise for for the role of Tony Stark for the role of Tony Stark. Uh, That's yeah, almost so, inconceivable. <laughs> I know, uh, but Robert Downey Jr. showed up for his um, screen test in a tux, and that really impressed uh, the producers. And he obviously got the part and. Uh, he his acting and and his kind of style uh, really uh, he became Tony Stark and to me he is Tony Stark and he certainly had other roles I mentioned the Chaplin role where he was nominated for an Oscar um, where his acting was fabulous uh, but um, just bringing him on board and and back then I think this was oh uh, six or oh eight when the movie came out he he had this whole backstory that we all knew about. And it added an edge to how we perceived his performance. I don't think it added an edge to his performance because I think he had that edge all along. But uh, I really thought about that, and I hadn't really thought about what we thought of him back then, and we certainly don't think of him that way now. So what are some of the plot points you enjoyed the most? I think mine were really about um, kind of the evolution of 
Tony Stark as a character from the beginning of the movie to the end. Those are the ones that I think hit me the most. And the very first one was also right at the beginning in those Humvees um, at the beginning when he's joking with the, with those um, so, so very young soldiers. <laughs> and uh, when he was taking the selfie with um, that one, he was sitting in the back with him and they get through the peace sign. I think that comes back again and again from Tony Stark throughout the MCU is he's now about peace. He likes the peace. And that was, I don't think it affected him at the moment, but after that child died and after he had the experience in the caves with, with poor Jensen, um, I think it opened up a little hole in Tony Stark's heart that wasn't filled until he met Spider-Man. Um, so I, I thought that was um, just a really nice kind of way of setting up what, what would kind of help drive that shift he makes as a character um, over this movie and, and the ones that follows. The next one when was when right after he had finally realized Pepper Potts is, uh, I guess, girlfriend material, um, aside from being the person who runs his entire organization. Uh, but uh, when he, that's when immediately after he has that, that kind of heart centered realization, um, that's when he finds out about the double dealing and the fact that the arm that his company was selling to both sides. Um, and I'll come back to you with a question I've got for you about that specifically in a moment. Um, but the final one, uh, the plot point wise, uh, again, with Pepper Potts and with with his feelings, which I think is really kind of the, the thread through everything, um, was when he self-sacrificed by telling Pepper to push the button, you know, throw the circuit breakers, explode the factory, even though he was still in it. Although that just foreshadowed the end of Endgame. Uh, like, the, they must have planned it from the beginning, but that first, you know, he goes from a warmonger selling weapons to... to all sorts of places in the world to know, okay, self-sacrifice. It's better that this ends and that I die and everyone else is okay. And that was, that was the really big one. Um, so you, it did make me want to ask um, when he, Oh, go ahead, please. So you had a compliance question. I do have a compliance question and it has to do with that um, selling arms to both sides kind of thing. Um, you know, from a, like, how easy or difficult would it be for a company to actually get away with that, you know, if there is a competent compliance officer on board and kind of beneath the nose of, like, the majority shareholder? Is that is it even a thing or is it, like, just movie world only? So uh, selling to parties is governed by export control laws. And if a mm -hmm. entity person or party is not on the denied parties list or on some other prohibited parties list – you can sell to them. Mm -hmm. So uh, we just call it the bad guys list. If they're on the bad guys list, you can't sell to them um, <laughs> or you're not supposed to. So that's sort of issue number one. Were any of these terrorists on the bad guys list? If yes, they shouldn't have been doing it. If no, then you then you move to a less legal, more uh, Aristotelian uh, ethical analysis of should should you be selling to both sides. And unfortunately, arms manufacturers tend to sell to people who pay them. Um, and they're fairly agnostic beyond that point. So it really didn't surprise me at all, particularly uh, as evil as Odebiah became <coughs> or he was. So uh, um, what about <coughs> some of the cookies you enjoyed? When Why don't you start off by telling us about your three favorite cookies? Uh, my first one is not necessarily an MCU cookie. 
Um, but it was the Mad Money with Jim Cramer show and podcast um, when after he had announced that he wasn't going to be in uh, you know arms dealing anymore. Stand up and cheer moment right there. Um, but yeah, the Mad Money with Jim Cramer podcast is in the top 100 business podcasts report that we uh, released this year and also last year. So that was my favorite personal cookie. Uh, and I, I, I guess I had known somewhere inside of myself that that sort of bombastic with all the buttons and the sound effects thing uh, was real. But I mean, it doesn't air on TV here in Canada. So I hadn't really seen that uh, happening. It was, it was, I thought it was a joke at first. And then I looked it up and it's like, Oh no, wait, I know that name. <laughs> That's a real it's a thing, real thing and a real guy. So that, that was my big one. Uh, and this one totally flipping to uh, another side of things um, was the Obadiah is Salieri Amadeus kind of thing happening with the the music that he was playing on the piano when Tony comes up for the first time and the like whole fictionalized rivalry between uh, uh, Salieri and, and uh, uh, Mozart. Wow. I'm completely blanking on the Mozart. Thank you. Uh, happy Monday. Uh, where, you know, Salieri believes he should have the power and he should have the fame and he should have the glory and he has all the skill. And, uh, you know, why did God bless such a, a reprobate with, uh, you know, all of this talent that's being widely recognized. So I thought that was pretty great. Um, just as a, as a thing to slip in there. And finally, um, Pepper Potts grabbing Tony's heart and then Tony saving himself using that same heart later, but tugged on my little heart. So I thought that was pretty sweet. So we should oh, actually- and yanking it out like a trout. Um, that is my Probably should have mentioned in my discussion about Robbie uh, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, Jeannie D- Dietrich being the world's biggest Robert Downey Jr. fan. If you ever wonder what to give her for oh, a Christmas fun. or birthday gift, you send her a picture of Robert Downey Jr. Um, any picture. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I wonder if he's on. My, um, yeah. Yeah. Here were my cookies, and <clears throat> this is where I thought not only did I enjoy these at the time. But in later retro, re- reflection, uh, they were just brilliant and uh, showed how much foresight whoever was producing these or screenwriting these or thinking of these really did. So uh, my first one was uh, Phil Coulson uh, at the end. Oh, and yeah. Phil goes and he gives Tony a story about um, how the they're going to explain away Iron Man and, of course, Tony, uh, to the thunderous music of um, Iron Man, uh, uh, says, I am Iron Man. But um, at one point, uh, before they get there, uh, Phil says to Tony, sir, this is not my first rodeo. Now, we didn't know the backstory to that until we, of course, watched number two in the chronological sequence, which was Captain Marvel. Yeah. And we saw met Phil Coulson there. And uh, you're right. He was right. It wasn't his first rodeo. He had dealt with superheroes before. So um, uh, I thought that was just a, a brilliant line once I, once I went back, kind of reviewed it and thought about it, particularly in the context of our podcast um, on Captain Marvel. Number two. Early on in the kind of opening montage, there was a newspaper article about the death of Howard Stark and his wife. And that, mm-hmm. of course, is a huge plot point. And it's a hugely important point um, 
as we move to the story of the Winter Soldier, as we move through uh, Tony's uh, story as well. And there was actually, you know, uh, showed the newspaper report of their death on highway in New York State. So um, I thought that uh, was really cool. And then finally, kind of tied Just into- to add to that. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, so, um, uh, I think that was called back to again when he was watching the newscast on uh, the little town in Golmira, when the reporter said, uh, and now there's only the sound of a child asking, where's my mom and dad? And that was when he when he decided to go to that benefit. So I think, yeah, they, they pulled that through again. Uh, and then the third point is uh, tangentially tied to um, Phil Coulson and the first radio comment mm-hmm. in the what became a great tradition in the MCU was at the end of the movie, they would have a little uh, uh, prequel or uh, teaser for the next movie Stinger. or the next series of movies. And Iron Man, since it was the first that came out, we had not seen that before. Uh, so it was, mm-hmm. it was very cool. That's true. And, uh, and in it, Nick um, Fury, um, of course, by Samuel L. Jackson, says, uh, you think you're the only superhero? Well, at that time, I thought he was. <laughs> there, there must be some other ones out there that we didn't know about. Now, of course, Captain Marvel had come out, and so he knew about her. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Captain uh, Avenger um, had, uh, uh, excuse me, Captain America, the first Avenger, had come out. So we had those superheroes. So Nick Fury was had been clearly thinking about, as we know from Captain Marvel, the Avenger project um, and bringing Tony on board. Uh, we, we guessed perhaps that might be down the road, but we didn't know uh, about the first two movies because they hadn't come out yet. So because we watched them in chronological order, we saw that development. But I think we all kind of swooned when we saw Samuel L. Jackson with the eye patch and Nick Fury. And we, Ooh, this is going to be good. This is going to be good. So uh, those were kind of my uh, three cookies. Mm-hmm. And I guess, Megan, maybe if I could end with, um, since this was the first one that came out, how did you really feel when you saw it? Were you excited? Did you really see uh, something down the road? Was it just because it was so new and different at the time? Uh, was it just uh, the wow factor? How did you, how did it really make you feel to see it? Because we were both quite a bit younger then. Well, I've got a confession. Um, I was exactly old enough to think I was not interested at all in superhero movies uh, when this came out. In fact, the first MCU movie I saw was Thor Ragnarok when it came out. I didn't start watching until then. And then I was like, oh, this is amazing. I've got to go back and watch everything. <laughs> but I, I was uh, Endgame was over before I really got into it. No, Endgame was coming out right when I was getting into it. Um, so I didn't see it when it was new. Um, and, it, it, you know, looking, watching it for the first time much later, um, uh, yeah, I didn't have that, this is going to be something big. And it, it really, I was thinking as I was watching this, you remember, this was the first one. Did they have an idea how far they'd be able to take this universe? Like they planned, like they obviously seeded this movie with so much about the future and about the past and the other movies. Uh without any assurance, I guess, that it was actually going to become the huge phenomenon that it did. Uh, so yeah, I'm wondering 
how big the people who made it thought it was going to be. But tell me about your experience watching it, because if you saw it when it came out. Uh... Well, first of all, I have to observe, I didn't realize that as a teenager, you were that cool, that you were beyond superhero movies. That's, <laughs> I was in my 20s. Well, a, l- a whole new part of your background yeah, I was not aware of. So I was... I- I would have been I would have been about 21 I think when this came out for the first time. Uh, so I was I was just like I don't like superhero movies. Oh, that's kid stuff. Uh, <laughs> Megan the cool phase. Okay. Uh wasn't aware of that. So, um very cool. <laughs> but that actually is is equally interesting because uh I think many of us have have discovered movies later in our life and because of our experience, whatever we've done professionally, personally, and we uh, see it through a completely different eyes. But uh, so I was a been in my um, late forties when that came out, and um, and I was a complete kid. I was like, "Is this is so cool?" You know, we start off by talking about Playboy Playmates, and I'm going, "He he 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 he." Look what I get to see, uh, and then move forward uh, to. The thing that kind of interested me the most was I was a huge comic books fan as a kid. And Captain, or, uh, or excuse me, Iron Man was not really a major player. He was not the kind of top three or four superheroes. And so I thought it was interesting that they would bring him forward um, as well. And then, the, the as you accurately described, the, the arc of Tony Stark's development uh, clearly um, – or uh, I guess we would say his hero's journey uh, from that uh, Humvee scene uh, to recognizing uh, that there was a a bigger picture out here he wasn't seeing, and then the uh, ghastness of finding out that he was actually uh, propagating uh, this mass destruction through uh, illegal arms sales from his company. So um, uh, that was a a pretty interesting uh, character arc, and I guess – at that point, I didn't have, obviously, the full picture of, of where this was going. But that's why going back and, and seeing it now and, and watching it again and researching it for this podcast series with you has been so great because now we have the really the whole story, at least up until Endgame, and we can see what they were doing and how they were doing it. But I remember at the time just thinking, this is so cool. Uh, and a teenage boy in me thought, this is so cool, and I get to have the coolest toys, and I get to look at Playboy Playmates. <laughs> it's just, uh, you know, how much cooler can life be uh, than this? So um, I, I really mm-hmm. saw that through a multi multifaceted eyes, and I really enjoyed it, and it was a ton of fun. No, it was uh, – uh- I guess one of the, the the nice things about coming to, like, um, a franchise like this late um, – is that you get so much all at once, <laughs> and you know you don't have to. It, it you know you don't get the the joy of delayed gratification, but you do get the joy of binge watching. Um, so I guess there's there's trade offs on both sides. And if someone is listening to this who by some chance has never delved into the MCU, go for it, go for it. Maybe maybe you'll find out that superheroes are cool after all. <laughs> there you go. Well, Megan, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for this episode, but I'm Tom Fox, and I hope folks will join us again for our next episode of Popcorn and Appliance, the MCU. This is Tom Fox. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Because That's What Heroes Do. hope you'll plan to join Megan and I again for our next episode where we take up the next movie chronologically 
in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is Iron Man 2. Because That's What Heroes Do is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.